We're going to be uh, looking at John chapter 8, um, starting at verse 31 and reading to verse 30, uh, 59. That's on page 1074 in your church Bibles. So that's John chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my words. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and he wants to carry out, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. 
If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Laura, thanks very much for for reading for us. Um, Freedom is a slippery kind of idea, isn't it? Have you ever thought about that very much? Um, uh, sometimes um, David Todd, who's in the office next to me here, um, brings his dog Ridley into work. Um, and sometimes when he does that, um, well, actually, no, always when he does that, he has the little dog cage um, in his office um, and, uh, and really gets into the dog cage and sort of lies on the ground. But sometimes David unlo- undoes the door and then Ridley gets to wander around David's office. Um, now, I've n- never seen it happen, but I guess he could open the door and Ridley could have sort of free range of the entire church building, upstairs and downstairs. Now, what would you make of that? Um, would we say that Ridley is a little bit more free when he gets to wander around the office and still more free to be able to wander all around the church building um, and maybe even more free if we open the doors and let him out sort of into the big wide world? Well, I mean, in one sense, that's the concept we would have, wouldn't he? He he feels constrained, Ridley, doesn't he? Or we think he's constrained when he's in the little cage. Um, That's one way of us understanding freedom, kind of the the absence um, of constraint. But freedom's a slippery thing. Um, Think think of a different illustration of freedom. Uh, Think of of a man or a woman who finds throughout their life, that they are repeatedly drawn into um, intimate relationships with friends and partners who abuse them, who are cruel uh, and, uh, uh, and vindictive towards them. And, and it happens over and over again in their lives. Um, and though others can see it happening, they themselves seem oblivious to it. Uh, they just get to sort of fall into these relationships. Something about them draws them to people uh, who end up abusing them. Now, are they free? Well, yes, in one sense, they're free to choose whatever partner in life they like. But are they free? Well, no, because at another level, something in them is constraining them to choose abusive partners in their relationships in life. really important theme in this section of John's Gospel concerns the ability or inability to see. Um, Next chapter, chapter 9, which when we come to it, it is all about vision and lack of vision, about the healing of a blind man, about uh, people's understanding of what Jesus has done in healing him. Uh, and then here at the beginning of, of our um, beginning of chapter eight, see it back in in verse twelve. Jesus makes this great declaration: "I am the light of the world." Again, it's about light, darkness, seeing, not seeing. But the funny thing in the rest of chapter eight is that that theme of light and darkness kind of disappears. 
Um, we don't hear any more of that language again uh, until we arrive in chapter 9. But in another sense, that theme doesn't disappear at all because all of chapter 8 concerns this issue of seeing but failing to see. Um, something being in front of your nose and not being able to comprehend it. Which makes sense of the funny opening to our passage. He quoted as Laura was reading it. In verse 31, Jesus is speaking, we're told, to those who believed Jesus. And you kind of think, it didn't look much like it from what happens in the rest of the chapter. You didn't get the impression that they believe him at all. The uncomfortable point is that there is a believing that isn't believing, just as there is a commitment that isn't commitment. And nothing could be worse than thinking you believe when you don't, thinking you're committed when you're not, or indeed assuming that you're in a state of spiritual peace when actually there is a spiritual war raging. Or worst of all, to believe that you're spiritually free when actually you're a spiritual slave. To, to make those kind of errors would be catastrophic, wouldn't they, at a spiritual level? Well, three headings as we, uh, as we look at this material and try and explore those themes a little bit together. Um, here's the first. A, a tragic spiritual heritage. You, you can't miss, can you, the repeated... Um, references to, to fathers um, through um, this passage that we we're looking at. It starts in verse 33, the people declare themselves to be Abraham's descendants. And, and to an extent, Jesus agrees, verse 37, I know you are Abraham's descendants. Yet, he says, you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in my father's presence and you're doing what you've heard from your father. You know, what? Which father? Whose father have they got then? Abraham's our father, they insist, verse 39. No, 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 not so, Jesus insists. For if Abraham were your father, you'd do what Abraham did. But you're not doing what Abraham did. Instead, you're trying to kill me. Abraham didn't do that kind of stuff. You're doing the works of your own father. What are you talking about, Jesus? What are you on about? The only father we've got is God himself. No, 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 Jesus tells them. If God were your father, you'd love me. But as it is, you can't make head or tail of me. In fact, you're completely unable to hear what I say to you. Why? Because you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Ooh, ouch. I mean, that's a little bit stark, isn't it? You belong to your father, the devil. And it only gets worse when Jesus identifies the, the components of this spiritual force at work within them. When he says that, that the work of the devil is the work of destruction and of deception. The devil both a murderer and a liar and the father of lies. It seems to me that we are, we're, we're pretty coy, aren't we? Probably far far more coy than we should be about talking about the reality of spiritual warfare, about talking about the reality of a, of a spiritual force for evil that is seeking to destroy and deceive. Uh, and, and the reason that it's a tragedy not to talk, uh, 
a tragedy to, to fail to think of it is because what, what greater spiritual tragedy is there than to be subject to the power of the devil and not know it? Imagine for a moment, um, sorry if this is a, a clumsy illustration, forgive me, um, but imagine for a moment being blind, I mean, physically blind, um, utterly unable to see. I mean, you just think of the awfulness of it, having to rely on touch and, and hearing and having to rely on other people's help uh, to, to live your life. But, but then think, how much harder would it be if you were blind but didn't know that you were blind? I mean, that's a really bizarre idea, isn't it? I don't know. Let's pretend that there is some strange brain injury you could have where you're unable to see, but you think you can see. I mean, now you really would be stuck, wouldn't you? Because all of the things that you would do if you were blind and knew you were blind, you wouldn't bother to do. So, I mean, if I understand it rightly, I, I've, I've never had a good friend who was blind, but, but I think I'm right in, in this, in saying that people who are blind uh, always put things in the same place because they can't find them. You know, they can't look and spot where they are, so they have to, put, they have to be very rigorous in putting things in the right place. They, they don't just dump things wherever um, because then they'll trip over things because they, they won't see them. They've got to be really vi- rigorous and, and careful. But if you didn't think you were blind, you wouldn't bother to do any of that. And, and all of the, the things that you could do to try and help yourself with your blindness, you, you wouldn't do. Now, then you'd be really, really stuck, wouldn't you? be bad enough being blind, but to be blind and not to think you were blind. But, but that's the territory that we're in here, to be spiritually blind and not even know that you're spiritually blind. Jesus is speaking to people who are children of evil, whose father is the devil, and they don't even realize it. So, so look, can we, can we begin here? with an admission that, that even those of us who, who are Christian believers this evening, can we begin with an admission that, that we are much, much more prone to evil than we think we are? And far, far less spiritually insightful than we might like to think we are. Now, it may be that God gloriously, wonderfully is at work in our lives, but we're not free of the battle between good and evil anymore yet. There is still a a sinful nature at work within us. There is still an enemy prowling around looking for people to devour. So when Jesus comes offering to help, we ought to be ready to receive it, eager to receive it. That's the first image in this passage, the idea of heritage, who by nature we're bound up with. Um, And that leads to to a second idea, the idea of slavery, of of being so bound up with the spiritual powers of evil that that it becomes nothing less than a spiritual slavery. That's the second heading, terrible spiritual slavery. Um, See it there in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, there's so much said within these verses, um, and and we're sort of, uh, we're galloping through them. But, But understand that 
According to Jesus, sin is a kind of slavery. Um, At one level, you and I know that. Because if you're not sure about it, then then let me put it to the test. Try living sin-free for a week. Just see if you can do it. No, No envy. Never a hint of pride. Absolutely no lust. Just, just give that a go for seven days. Can you do it? And, and please understand, our failure would not be a lack of self-discipline. That's not the issue. See, if I, if I told you to give up coffee for a week, now you might not like that, but you could do it, couldn't you? If I pressed you further and I said, give up your mobile phone for a week, just about, if it really mattered, it'd be pretty tough, but just about, we could still do it. Yeah, we could summon up the, the self-discipline to say, no, I'm not going to use my mobile phone for a week. We could just about carry it off. But if, if I tell you to, to give up sin for a week, and even if you really, really wanted to, you would fail. It wouldn't be a lack of self-discipline. It, it is an inability. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. It is beyond us at a spiritual level. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you sin, you're a slave to sin. You're not free to stop sinning. Can't do it. But wonderfully, Jesus says, the Son can set you free. Now, we we get hugely confused here. um, Because we kind of think, hang on a minute. This didn't seem quite right, because isn't Christianity, that's the constraining, limiting thing, isn't it? You know, all those sort of rules, and Christians are the uptight ones, they're all sort of morally repressed. Uh, and isn't it, it's, it's the people who aren't Christians. They're liberated and free, and can live life to the full. So what's going on here? Isn't J- Jesus seems to have a bit of a misunderstanding. But, but actually it's us who've got a misunderstanding about freedom. I mean, come back to Ridley the dog again for a minute, if you would, if you would be so kind. You see, see, we think that Ridley in his cage is constrained. Um, that's to define freedom negatively. To be free is to remove constraints. You know, it's the absence of stuff. But Jesus defines freedom positively. Not as the absence of constraints, but as submission to the right constraints. You've heard it before, but I can't do this passage without doing the goldfish. Um, most of you have heard it before. Uh, if I had a goldfish bowl here, you know, what would we say? Poor goldfish, you know, constrained in the water, miserable. Let's set the goldfish free. Yeah, there you are, goldfish. Explore the world. Hmm. Flapping, not moving very far. Hmm. Now, is the goldfish free on the carpet? The goldfish is not free on the carpet. The goldfish is, 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 is living its last few moments on the goldfish, uh, on the carpet. You know, just sort of pan, 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 gasp, gone. Uh, the, the goldfish is, needs to be in the context for which it was made, in, back in water. We don't liberate the goldfish by, by putting it somewhere other than in the water. We destroy it. Now, now, forgive the silly analogy, but, but you get the point. We are free when we occupy the context for which we were made. And you and I were made 
to live for obedience to God our Creator. And until we are set free to do that, we are enslaved. Try another example. You, you buy yourself a new car, or a second-hand car, I don't mind. Um, but you've, you've got this new car. Now, with your new car, um, what, what do you think freedom looks like with your new car? Is it freedom to drive the car with a handbrake on? Is it freedom to fill the car with diesel, even though it's got a petrol engine? You know, is that freedom? You know, I'm free to do whatever I like with my new car. No, clearly not. If you, ex- if, you, if you sort of express your freedom in that way with your new car, you and your new car will have a fairly short relationship. You know, you, your new car is headed for the, for the knacker's yard pretty quickly if you treat it like that. No, you, you, have to, you have to use your car, constrain your car within the instructions of the manufacturer in order for this car to function as it should. Now, the danger of that illustration is, okay, so... We achieve freedom by living according to God's rules for us. But, but don't, don't think that. That's not how you achieve freedom. Now, you achieve freedom by being set free. Remember blindness. Remember slavery. You and I are not capable of liberating ourselves by following all God's rules. We can't do it. That was the point about trying to live sin-free. We can't do it. So we have to be set free. We need a liberator. Freedom comes to us as a gift, uh, which brings us to our final heading, uh, a Christ-centered liberation. Liberation begins not with our efforts, but with Christ's gift. Uh, And that's why that the focus of this passage is, is all Jesus. You can, you can miss that, could you? He's talking about himself, where he comes from, where he's been, what he's doing, um, over and over again through these verses. Um, and as he does so, remember where we began. We began with people who, who say they believe, but who don't believe. Not really. They don't really believe at all, because they are... They don't believe, they can't believe that he's the light of the world. They can't bring themselves to believe that he is from the Father. They can't persuade themselves that he is the eternal Son. They can't come to terms with the fact that he alone can give them life. And because they haven't understood who he is, they are therefore unable to believe any of these things that he claims to be able to do for them. The the punchline is all about his identity. Who is this Jesus? Um, And that's the extraordinary ending to this passage. Um, And because I don't want to lose a focus on it, I'm going to read it all over again. Okay, let me pick it up from verse 48. The the, the, the climax of this clash um, is coming. The Jews answered Jesus, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. 
At this they exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not 50 years old yet, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, now what do you make of that? Is that a little bit of an overreaction? I mean, to stone Jesus for saying that. I mean, he, he said some pretty extraordinary things earlier on in the chapter, and there were no stones picked up then. But, but now, suddenly, they're going to stone Jesus to death. I mean, what's he guilty of? Is he just guilty of a little bit of bad grammar? Is that the point? You know, is that what they're so upset about? There are Eng- you know, lots of English teachers there. Oh, no, sorry. Whatever. You know, so are they upset by his grammar? Because he said, before Abraham was, was, I am. And they think, no, 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 Jesus. You just said, before Abraham was, I was. You know, oh, that'd be okay then. It's not bad grammar that they're upset about. No, no, no. They're stoning him because they know exactly what he's saying. When the Lord appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 uh, and told Moses to go to the people, Moses said, uh, how will I persuade them to believe me? You know, what, what name shall I give them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. The Jews knew precisely what it was that Jesus was claiming. It might pass you and I by, but it didn't pass them by. And they are outraged. How could it possibly be true, though? How could the Creator be standing on the very earth that He created? How could it be that the giver of life was going to become vulnerable to death? How could the one who had always existed be born in a stable to a teenage girl? Can I say, don't ever, ever feel sorry for us preachers at Christmas. Don't ever think, oh, poor Steve, he's got to find something, something to say about Christmas again for another year. If you ever catch me thinking that I've got a bit bored about things to say at Christmas time, would you just push me out of the door and tell me not to come back? If you can't find anything amazing, if you can't find anything to say about this amazing truth of Christmas, it's time to stop trying to be a preacher. It is the most extraordinary truth, this incarnation, that, that the Creator God, 
entered his creation. That the great I am lay in a manger as a tiny baby. And that because this baby is the Son of God on earth, he is able to grant you a place in the family of his Father. Uh, I'd love you this Christmas, and we've been talking about it over these past few weeks, I'd love you this Christmas to, to seize the moment to invite friends. Uh, come to Christmas carol service, come to the jazz carols, uh, come to the candlelit carols, come to, the, come to them all and bring people with you. I'd, I'd love you to be really excited uh, about people coming to here. But, but please, d- don't be so focused on other people coming with you that you forget to be excited yourself, excited at the truth of what God has done in sending Jesus, to be amazed and thrilled with it afresh, year on year on year. And remember that as, as, we, as we come to share bread and wine now, remember what it signifies. Remember that it signifies that on the cross, Jesus gave up his freedom. He gave it up at a physical level, didn't he? They pinned him, arms and legs. Physically, he wasn't free to move. But still more gloriously than that, he gave up his spiritual freedom too, forsaken by his Father. But as he loses freedom, we gain it. He gives it up so that we might have it. No longer slaves, for a slave has no permanent place in the family. That the reason that we're spending this year in John's Gospel is to, to see Jesus' identity to realize who he is afresh. If, if you're not getting excited about seeing Jesus in John's gospel, then plead with God to, to get you excited. Dread the idea that you might not be seeing things clearly. A bit like these hearers of Jesus weren't seeing things clearly. Plead with him to show you what you can't see. Because there's no worse thing, is there, to be blind and not even know that you're blind. Let me lead us in a prayer. We read here, uh, Lord God, the most extraordinary claims uh, from Christ, uh, and behind them sit the most extraordinary truth uh, that the Lord Jesus uh, has uh, has come and achieved this great salvation for us. Uh, you yourself entered into our world. Uh, you yourself uh, given over to death. Uh, would these things uh, amaze and thrill and excite us? Um, and would you please give us spiritual eyes and ears uh, to see, hear and understand and believe. In Jesus' name, amen.